0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Watkins Welcome. I'm Michael Russell and I'm sitting here with
1: I'm currently Gary the Foodie at least for another few weeks.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and and then what happens?
1: Then I'll then I no longer will be Gary the Foodie. I will be retired.
0: You'll fade away like Fade a, away. Marty so, McFly. Yeah, as soon as we finish our last food podcast, food. I'm going to disable my Instagram account. Oh, sounds so morbid. Oh, that's okay. Okay. Well, as long as you're fine. I'm fine. How are you doing by the way? Tired. Exhausted. It's been a long year and a half. Long winter. Long winter. I hate the rain. The rain has been coming on strong. Because I walk everywhere, so... I'd like to see it dry.
1: Uh, next week. Okay. Dry.
0: Well, today we are going to talk about a restaurant meal that Gary and I were able to share before the Omicron virus began sending cases skyrocketing in Oregon once again. And that meal was at... Berloo. Vince wins Berlu. Just a little bit of backstory here. Berloo I want to say opened in 2018. I think it was 2019. Okay. And they served a tasting menu. And the focus of the tasting menu was inexpensive ingredients prepared, as you would find at a finer dining restaurant. So you weren't going to find truffles. You maybe weren't going to find duck. Or caviar. Or, or caviar. But you would find Chicken served four different ways as your as your main course and the price for that tasting menu was about 75 bucks the first time I tried it so kind of a different approach and the sort of hallmarks of that restaurant in the early going for me were uh, Vince's approach to cooking which was extremely meticulous um, very visually stunning and they actually were the Oregonians rising star in 2019 Uh, but As with many restaurants, they closed during the pandemic, and Vince was very careful during the pandemic. He closed for a long time. They've actually just recently reopened, and they made some changes. You want to tell us about that, Gary? Well, during the pandemic, I want to step
1: back just a bit. He pivoted multiple times. He he did a bakery concept throughout uh, much of the pandemic. He did a noodle concept, and he did a night market. And in in my mind, he was the most successful restaurateur chef as far as constantly pivoting. And then those pivots were actually the, the food was actually quite good and some of the best I had during the pandemic in Portland, Oregon. So I gave him I gave him much high props.
0: Just for, out of curiosity, bakery, night market, noodle soups, what was your favorite of the three of those three pivots? Oh
1: God. I, I liked the soup the, the soup concept that the the non vegan soups I really 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 liked um
0: and you can get those soups, both vegan and non vegan on Sundays at Berloo, which is currently operating as a a cafe i don't I'm it not maybe may off right now I don't know okay, okay. Yeah. you can go take check everything that out. with a grain of salt right now
1: but I did I thoroughly enjoyed the bakery too he had one of my favorite things. At the, at, at the bakery that I had during the pandemic, which was the Honeycomb. Yeah. Do, I, do you know, I can't remember the name of it specifically.
0: Is it? It's the green uh, yeah. cakey bread. Uh, I, I want to say it's called Bun Bo Noong. Okay. <laughs> I apologize for my and And, and he also had a, like a meatloaf. Yeah, that was that really re- good too. That I really, really thought was delicious. So he reopens in the fall and the upshot of all this sort of downtime, even though he was doing weekly pop-ups of various sorts, is that he kind of got in touch with his Vietnamese heritage in a way that he really hadn't before the pandemic. And when he reopened the tasting menu, he did so with Vietnamese influences uh, on the tasting menu. Now you and me have kind of gone back and forth over whether this makes Berlue an entirely new restaurant. And, you know, obviously cause they were our rising star a couple of years ago. I, 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 I had gone and, and I said to you, you know, it's deepened the restaurant in my opinion, and it's improved the restaurant to have, you know uh like a durian custard to round out a dish that wasn't there before but to me it's not an entirely new restaurant where do you fall in that right now
1: well i i took the counterpoint to that i thought it was a new restaurant and should have been considered amongst uh, the new restaurant category and um i think for you it kind of got disqualified because you didn't think of it as being new but my question to you is what if he renamed it not berlu but he called it something else
0: yeah i, I would that have about changed that. your opinion
1: if you just renamed it
0: i think uh what's that famous uh, greek parable the ship of uh Ephesius is that what it is where you have a ship and if you take away all the boards all the nails all the sails and replace them with new ones is it still the same ship i mean that that is a question with restaurants too if you if you change the name if you change you know there there is a point where a restaurant becomes a new restaurant we saw it um i'm gonna forget the name but the restaurant in houston um theater rex theater rex which had been something else had won best restaurant awards they changed their name and I, i mean i think the question that we've sort of talked about is does does Berlue d- deserve to be reappraised by national critics in particular? And I would say it probably does. Uh, but it, you didn't. Changes.
1: You, but you didn't think so because. You, I
0: didn't think so on my own list, partly because uh, I, I think national critics probably didn't give Berlue 1.0 the. Uh, it, I don't think they gave it its due. I think they should have. I, I think some of the national critics maybe were a little fatigued with that. With tasting menu formats. They didn't see enough to interest them at Berlue early on. And I think now they should definitely go if they haven't yet. I do think a name change, a a format change. Those are the kinds of things that do make a restaurant new. If you go to Berlue now, the experience of dining there is largely the same as what it was pre-pandemic. Even the way the menu progresses. I I said, when we were there, they're even playing the same Billie Eilish album uh, (laughs) front to back. So, uh, you know, that's one of the quirks there. Uh, You know, the, the bathroom still has the David Bowie wallpaper, all these kind of, And still we have test tubes. These wonderful Vince Quirks, the broths that come in test tubes, are all still there. So I I just, for me, it just didn't seem different enough to warrant, like, say, inclusion in a best new restaurant guide like the one I put out. But that being said, if there's anybody out there listening who has not been to Berlue, I think now's the time to go. And let's talk about why. I mentioned the durian custard. Uh, I'm probably going to blank on what dish that came with, but was it the gooey duck?
1: Yes. Young Coconut?
0: Dirty and cuss. Was it? Well, there was, there was a dish with uh, gooey duck, which is that the, the the giant clam that is harvested in the Pacific Northwest. You don't see it at restaurants very often outside of finer dining restaurants. But uh, what Vince does is he pairs it with uh, lychee, and lychee and gooey duck have the sort of same like opalescent or translucent uh, look to them. Like if you pulled out a piece of each the way he cuts it, they almost look the same. It's right. one of those tricks like you see watermelon and tuna side by side sometimes uh, cubed and you can't tell the difference it's like that with this I, if that's the dish that also had the young coconut and the durian custard um then you can kind of see it, these are flavors that just were not necessarily there in Berlu 1.0 um durian coconut etc these are flavors that are hallmarks of vietnamese cuisine so i mean that to me was very exciting and the taco one of the first bites the little taco Yes, the taco, which was his version of Bonseo dish that it looks like an omelet, but it's actually eggless. And uh, he makes it a little crispier than I've had it at Portland restaurants, at least, where it can be quite juicy. And I don't know if fluffy is the right word. But um, anyway, you take this omelet looking thing, you wrap it up with lettuce, you put herbs in it. It's totally delicious. He sort of makes it for you. Uh, There's all sorts of Vietnamese touches on this menu. So the upshot is, uh, you know. I think Berlue, which was already a very good restaurant, I think it was arguably a top 10 Portland restaurant pre-pandemic. You might say definitely. <laughs> uh, and now I think we both agree that it's a top five Portland restaurant, in part because of these changes, in part because of the demise of many, many, many Portland restaurants, uh, you know, the Italo's of the world, Notoguro's of the world, that, you know, maybe were, maybe were crowding out my personal top five. And, uh, you know, where does it fall for you? It it's sits
1: it's firmly ever so firmly at number one, it is, it's my, and I've been, I've been with Vince. I've been going to Vince's pop-up since the very first one, it was Justin Woodward and Vince doing a collaboration dinner back in, what was it? 2013, 2014, after he got back from his stint at Qua as sous chef. So it was, I mean, the first actual Jolie led pop-up, I went with Karen Brooks, it took Karen and it started off with dancers. So I it was I just shook my head, I'm saying, Oh my god. And it, it it was it was a little bit pretentious and it just wasn't great. But since that dancing pop up dinner, his food has gotten progressively better and better and better and it's it's I finally after the last two meals at Bearloo the, taste, the Vietnamese tasting menu, inspired tasting menus, I can finally say it's now my favorite restaurant in Portland.
0: That's awesome. Congratulations <laughs> to Vince. <laughs> um, for me, I think uh, I'm, I'm not quite ready to say that yet, but I haven't gone out and eaten at every existing restaurant. I probably plan to do that this year, but uh, it's top five for me, and it's probably closer to one than five, so that's pretty good. Um, you know, one of the things um, we're going to talk a little bit about another restaurant that you put rank pretty highly in a second, but it's interesting that I feel like we're starting to slowly see the glimmers of of, of finer dining or fine dining reemerge in Portland. I mean, you have, um, the old row, the old seafood restaurant just reopened as Tercet, which has more of an Oregon focus, less of a seafood focus, but it's the same space. New name. Is it a new restaurant? I don't know. It is
1: concepts is less seafood based. Um, John Conlon was there toward the end of the row tenure and he's still there. So in that, I don't think John Conlon, I don't think row under John Conlon ever got reviewed by anybody.
0: I don't think it did either. And I think he might've been there for two years. Um, but so I, I actually never went under him. So it'll be really interesting to try to set, uh, you have Republica with their five course tasting menu, which is still fairly affordable, very affordable. Um, and then you have Berloo. I don't I, I don't nothing else is popping out of the top of my head, but you know, Finer Dining in Portland got wiped off the map for almost two years. So to see even little things coming up is is impressive.
1: Well I could name one place that I won't mention because it was one of the worst meals I've had in the last ten years. It was a plan nine of outer space of meals. It was Ishtar of Meals, it was a Waterworld of meals. It was so bad, it was actually hilarious. But I won't name the <laughs> And restaurant. it was a tasting menu. Uh okay. It wasn't officially a tasting menu, but it was kind of on the finer dining side.
0: Interesting. Okay. Tell me uh, a bit about another restaurant that for you has emerged into the top five. And I will say this is a place that historically has been top 10 for me. I know, as well. but
1: we've talked about, we've argued, we've argued about it. Yeah. We've argued about it.
0: And it has changed quite a bit. And right. the restaurant is?
1: It's called St. Jack on Northwest 23rd. There's two St. Jacks now, one on Lake Oswego and one on Northwest 23rd. On the summer of two thousand twenty, I heard about this chef who used to work in Portland, went to Europe, ended up in Paris working for Laura Adrian and Braden Perkins Ellsworth and Verju, and he came back to Portland during the middle of the pandemic, early part of the pandemic, and he ended up at Le Moule because he worked for Aaron Barnett before he went to
0: Europe, and Le Moule being the muscle-focused sister restaurant of right. Saint Jack,
1: right, and uh he i i i had the one of the first things i had that the first meal at La moule under john Dennison, the chef was a pâté en croûte which i thought holy crap this is really fantastic and we talked he came out we talked for a while and he said i want to do a pativier gary i said are you are you going to you really going to try a pativier which is like a it's a puff pastry filled with usually like game foie gras you i I don't know if i've ever seen it in portland i've had it in paris i've had it in hong kong joshua Skeens, as three Michelin stars saison did a vie, i think once um so i thought okay H- how did just...
0: uh how did his uh rank against those ones
1: well i i he he, he served it to me at Le Moule, and i i thought it was it, it it was i thought it was incredibly competent and then he moved. Then we had, you know, the COVID flared up again last winter. And he ended up moving to from La Moule to another Aaron Barnett restaurant, St. Jack. And so when he moved there, you and I went in March. And he had just they just reopened, I think, for indoor dining, I think. And John had kind of – it was a transition period between Aaron's menu and John's menu. But we tried a few things. I don't – we didn't have the Petivier because it wasn't on the menu then, was it?
0: No. I mean, we had a really interesting new version of the steak tartare. We had, uh, I think I also was on my burger crawl right then. So I tried their smash burger. And uh, we had a pate on croat. We did have the pate on. crot. We had a chocolate tart. That was still on the menu. That's lovely.
1: Yeah. And uh, a few weeks or no, a few months later, you put the Petivier on the St. Jack menu. And huh. it, was, it was actually fantastic. Have you had it yet? Not yet. No. Oh, really? Yeah.
0: I know that's one of your dishes of the year.
1: Well, it's hard because he would have like three or four of them.
0: Right. So if you miss out, you miss out. I've had the pete. Oh, in no, pro, I'm sorry. He, he
1: has like three or four of my favorite dishes. In, in oh, Portland. I see. Okay, yeah.
0: right, right, right. Uh,
1: what do you think of St. Jack
0: now? I think it's been pretty amazing to see where they're going. I mean, the t- behind the scenes, I've talked to Aaron Barnett a lot over the years. And for at least five years four or five years, he's been talking about wanting to take St. Jack, which opened as sort of a a homage to this type of restaurant in Lyon called the Bouchon. And the Bouchon, in my understanding, is, you know, a place where you go. There's a lot of wine. The food might be humble, but delicious. There's also some, you know, multi-starred Michelin restaurants there. But um, he has been wanting to kind of push things toward more of the Parisian, the modern Parisian style, which is more vegetable heavy, more global, globally focused in terms of flavors. And I, I while I, I don't know if St. Jack is the latter of those two, it, it, there's definitely more vegetables. Some of John's dishes are very artful with, uh, you know, it, it could just be like cucumber and basil. He might make a beautiful dish out of that. Um Veggie dishes have been a highlight, but also anything he touches with pastry has been that we talked about the pété en croix, your uh, pétivier. Uh, we also there's Couguere. a, uh, there's a mush, and, uh, mushroom vol avant, which is oh, yeah. a, uh, like a almost like a tornado of puff pastry stuffed with creamy uh, mushrooms, eggs. And then they put this bouquet of herbs on top that makes it it's look beautiful like the yeah. garden of Babylon or something. Uh, mushroom
1: duxelles. It's a fantastic dish. I mean, I call it John the, the prince of puff pastry.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't argue with that. We, we, um, you know, our me- I've been there two or three times since our meal there. I went once as sort of with sort of like a college reunion uh, before Omicron, and with about eight people. And we ordered everything. <laughs> we ordered multiple things twice. So, um, Saint check out Saint Jack Gary. Where does that rank in your Portland restaurant list right now?
1: Right behind Bear number two. Wow.
0: All right. And I just Do went you have a number three.
1: Uh, Sorry to put you on the not spot. Not to top of my head. Uh, I just went to St. Jack again just a few days ago. And they have a new dish, a Poussin dish with pain puree, which is absolutely fantastic. I'm not sure if it's a Robuchon pain puree, but it's, it's just so decadent. And the Poussin was juicy and just moist, succulent. It was just delectable. The Busan dish is fantastic. Yeah.
0: It, it, and, you know, we talk about, is it a new restaurant? Is it not? St. Jack has the same name. They have the same address. But John <sighs> oh, has changed that menu yeah. quite a bit. And there are a few dishes that are the same, but it, that does feel like a new restaurant as well. I don't know. Well, almost I, you know, more so than Berlou.
1: No, I'd go the opposite direction. Okay. I don't think it is a new restaurant. I wouldn't say, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, to me, it's, it's not a new restaurant. I
0: mean, yeah. That's so
1: funny. I'm, I'm being maybe hypocritical.
0: We've talked a bit about our favorite dishes from Berlu and St. Jack but you and I both have put together lists of our favorite dishes. I actually published one and I had 19 things on my list. I know. I realized in hindsight, I should just add three more to get to 22 for 2022. Oh, something. okay. But I thought you should add one more for 20. 20 would be good. I, uh, I didn't, uh, I'm not going to bore you by reading the whole thing, but it is interesting to me that going over my list, it was a more unusual, uh, like the way I got the dishes on this list was more unusual than any list I've ever done. Why? well, Okay. So among the dishes that made it on my list were a frozen lasagna from Cooperativa downtown. That is an amazing frozen lasagna. Really? And it was totally random. I had a good friend visiting for work. He was staying at the hotel right next door. He bought the frozen lasagna, brought it back to his room and realized, Oh, I don't have an oven in my uh, working suite. So he brought it over here and we had it for like family dinner. Uh It was fantastic lasagna, best take home lasagna you can buy in Portland. Um, I also had tacos from a strip club uh, as I went with, with you. you. Uh, yeah, yes. uh, we went you together. You and I had that together. But uh, at the back of Mary's Strip Club, there used to be a restaurant called Santeria. And during the pandemic, it closed. And then they reached out to uh, a chef named Chris Frazier, who used to be at Longbon and before. after that, he was at Acanto. He ran Acanto for a while, uh, a good neighborhood Italian restaurant. So Chris was grew up in Mexico City and was making some of the best tacos in Portland, at uh mary's strip club uh in their kitchen essentially at the back uh you have to walk through the strip club together mary's has since moved chris is no longer making the tacos there so there were lots of dishes this year that you can't get anymore um you do you you, you know what happened to chris do you know if he's making tacos somewhere else he's um working on his house and taking a break from cooking right now i mean i had food cart dishes on my list i had a breakfast dish from Fairweather, which was a a brunch concept, uh, like a pandemic pivot Jacqueline. from Jacqueline that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, what I put, was your dish? I'm sorry, I I, I forgot what that, it was. The yeasted waffles, but there were three oh, or four things. Like oh, I yeah, I loved my, the brunch at Fairweather too. That was the best brunch in Portland when it. I existed. do agree with you, totally. Um, and hopefully they can bring it back. I also put ramen from uh, Yoshim Chef Colin Yoshimoto, and that's another dish that it, it's unlike anything before because that was something he was, uh, you know putting on Instagram. And, you know, I got a text from our mutual friend, Joe Wynn, who said, hey, uh, can I drop off some noodles for you? And I said, well, can I pay for them? And they said, yeah. He said, yeah, Venmo, uh, Venmo Colin. I said, okay. And then I get noodles dropped off of my door.
1: And, uh, I, and I I did have the ramen. I had Colin's ramen, ramen at a pop-up that he did with Diane Lamb at Sunshine Noodles. So I, don't, I had it before you. And I don't know if I told you, I thought it was the best ramen I'd had in Portland.
0: Yeah, I think, it, I think it is. Uh, I'd agree with that. Um, you know, I, I put a dish from Gregory Gorday from his pop-up uh, con winter village, which was a meal I had inside of a yurt in the middle of winter uh, last year. So yeah, it was a very unusual year for, um, for food. And, you know, one more kind of a sad one uh, during the pandemic, Ken's artisan pizza was doing these 18 inch pies and I've always been a huge a pizza shoals guy. I still am. They're the best pizzeria in Portland, but during the pandemic, those pizzas coming out of Ken's oven, those 18-inch pies, were the best pizza in Portland. And unfortunately, Ken recently uh, sold the restaurant. Uh, they're not doing the 18-inch pies anymore. They they stopped when they reopened their dining room in July. But um, yeah, those were fantastic if you got to try them.
1: But they were the checkerboard pizza pizzas, right?
0: Effectively, yeah, but done in a wood-fired oven. Okay. Checkerboard being Ken's uh, downtown restaurant, which he sold. And that was a deck oven? It
1: was, yeah. Okay. Okay. What uh, else?
0: What else? Uh, you want to tell me some of your best dishes?
1: Well, the thing is, uh, John Dennison from Saint Jack. I could, had a few dishes that I thought were that could be in my top ten. One was the, one was Hericover. One was the Petit Vie, um, and the other was the Pate en Crote. Those were the three dishes that I thought, and Mushroom Boulevent was probably fourth but any of those I could have picked and one of the things about my top 10 dishes I can't take more than one per restaurant and I went with the hericover because you know I hate vegetables I really hate vegetables I don't eat vegetables and to pick to to for John to make me make a vegetable dish that I actually liked you know got to give him credit total props beautiful dish too gorgeous as unfortunately it's currently not on the menu
0: <laughs> yeah things do come and go there
1: and um and for, and I, to, I picked a Berlue dish that I thought was very intriguing. It was dessert that was, had the savory aspects to it. It was um, caramelized rice, quince and caramelized rice ice cream with a shallot cake. It was his first, the, the, the first month or two he served that. Yeah, I got to try. Do you remember that? that? Yeah. yeah, I do. It, I love that dish.
0: It was, for me, it was like, you got the, the bumbo noong we mentioned earlier. He does a, um, uh, a, a dessert version of that. And then you had that, uh, quince dish and it was a bit too much like cake and cake or toast and toast to me. But, um, I, I like both of them as well.
1: Um, and then I had, I went to this iconic Hollywood restaurant called Musso and Frank's. It's been around forever, like literally forever. Uh, I went with my dining partner that I always eat with when I'm in L.A., Thomas Sang, and he had never been there. He grew up in L.A. He's eaten at hundreds, about hundreds of L.A. county restaurants. He'd never been to Musa and Frank's. And it's a huge restaurant, 200-plus seats. We went out on a Friday, Thursday. might have been Thursday or Friday at 4 o'clock or 4.30 when it opens. By 5 o'clock or half an hour after it opened, it was full. (laughs) And we ordered a baked escargot. Oh my God. It was, I love that. It, 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 it's a huge menu. I don't know how many of the dishes would be good, but we ordered a few things and I love that baked baked disc. Oh, okay. Well.
0: So was it just snails in their shells baked with garlic oil? Yeah. Or, okay. So yeah. that's great. It was, I loved it was so
1: simple, but Oh my God, it was so much fun. <laughs> it was just, it was so, it felt like I was in the 1950s. <laughs> And I think I had a martini that night. I'm pretty sure I did have a martini that night nice throwback and it was it, it was absolutely packed good for good good for Marusso and Franks. There are places like that in l a some of them i I still need to go to some some of those places like Dantana. but um yeah um loved that dish and then I went to there's this um Asian chef in san Francisco named Alex Hong. He opened an Italian restaurant called Sorrel. I've got a few times, and that's a nice name yeah and he he Got his Michelin star in his very early 30s or late 20s. And I love pasta. I mean, I, I, I really love pasta. And he did a, a caramelle with lobster that I thought was one of the 10 best dishes, not one of the top five dishes that I've had this year. Again, it's I did an Instagram post of my top 10 favorite dishes. So if you're interested, as long as we're doing this podcast, my Instagram will be up because <laughs> I got to use my Instagram to, po- to promote this this podcast, but yeah, I mean, check out my top 10 um, dishes, but man, I love that dish too. Alex Hong does a fantastic um, stellar job with pasta. He's the pasta guy.
0: He's Asian. Um, You mentioned uh, St. Jack. You mentioned snails. And I had a dish from St. Jack on my best dishes list. uh, That was the lamb Gascoigne, which comes with escargot. And you were asking me before we started why I picked it. And I think it with St. Jack and a few of the other restaurants on my, that I picked dishes from. It's just hard. So sometimes you have meals where there's five or six things that are great. And they could go on one of these lists. And I just really loved the way they treated the lamb. You know, it was served. Um, it was like a, a, a sliced roast. So it looked a bit like prime rib, like really perfectly cooked uh, prime rib, but it was lamb uh, with some uh, root veg, and the escargot on the side and a great sauce. And, you know, I wondered a bit if it was just a bit too much like old St. Jack for, right. To celebrate the new. And you know, I may be guilty of that, but it's something we enjoyed a lot. And John was there and made it. So I will, uh, I, I, I'm not, I'm not privy to the internal details of whether he added the escargot or, you know, whether they've ever served it before actually, but, uh, it was just something I loved. Yeah. I
1: mean, there's like, I said, like, you know, I said earlier, it's just hard. There's so many options that you know under John to to select. That's really, you know, that could that's uh, worthy.
0: Uh, about before Bear reopened, you were calling Saint Jack the best restaurant in Portland. So yeah. I mean, I think that I think that if you haven't been back in the past couple of years and you're looking for a place to go on a date, uh, maybe in a month after the Omicron spike is over, uh, that's definitely the spot.
1: And he has a new dessert in El Ooh.
0: that I thought. Was well executed, so go oh. try the *El Flotante*. Okay, I will. Uh, what else, buddy? We're we're uh, you wanted to talk about your favorite podcast right now? Should we yeah. do our little post po- our post podcast okay. guide to podcasts here?
1: I like I I'm Gary the sports guy now, so I, I mean I've always been Gary the sports guy. I love sports. I know you love sports, so I listen to a lot of sports podcasts. Like every day that well Monday through Thursday, Dan Labertard and Stu Gotts have their podcasts that last a few hours. So that takes up a lot of my... When I walk, I listen to you know it's podcasts. So sure. they take up a lot of my day listening to Lebertard and Stu Mina Kimes. Uh, Zach Lone is low post. Brian Windhorst. Um, ESPN FC, the soccer podcast. I mean, these um, Pro Football Focus has a first draft uh, podcast that I listen to because I love the NFL draft. Um, yeah, there's just so many sports podcasts. Co- sports podcasts the, get you busy. the
0: levitard one dan Lebetard, is it just their show that they then record and then put out as a podcast I
1: mean, no they, what, is it
0: also on live radio it,
1: no not anymore oh, they left espn during the pandemic huh. chris cody got fired Lebetard got pissed and he said i'm out i'm out of here <laughs> i mean so C- chris cody got, got fired is was a boon for Dan Lebertard and Stu Gatz and the rest of the shipping container. They got a deal from, um, from DraftKings, I think is $51 million deal. Oh man. So I don't over many years.
0: DraftKings. If you're looking to move into the restaurant and food world, we're available (laughs) (laughs) for one more episode.
1: Um, (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, um, is doing what he wants to do. He's not being muzzled by ESPN. Oh, good. So it's glad to hear that. So, he it's it's he does some controversial stuff, but I I love Lebittardus Two Gods. You
0: I I gotta out myself. I listen to a lot of the Ringer podcasts. I like uh, I don't listen to Bill Simmons, but I I like the Watch, which is a TV podcast. Oh, huh. I like Big Picture, which is a movie podcast, and I also listen to their uh, media podcast, which I actually pay for one podcast. I know mostly we all just listen to ads right. uh, uh, to pay for it. The one podcast I pay for is a former Portland uh, basketball writer named Ben Goliver has a pod called Greatest of All Talk, and I pay five bucks a month uh, to hear it because I, I like uh, the way him and his co-host Andrew Sharp talk about basketball.
1: Oh, do they focus on one specific team? Or no, is it it's just NBA wide.
0: Yeah, and they're funny. They've been they've been huge Giannis and Tetacumpo fans for about five years, so they've they've been talking him up since well before he was a, a superstar. And obviously, because he only won the championship this year before he was an NBA champion. But um yeah, that's uh, that's that's my sort of guilty pleasure podcast that I that I pay money for.
1: What about T V? You mentioned today about a new show you're watching.
0: Yeah, and this was a big hit on that on the watch, which is the T V podcast I like. Um they they were hyping it up before uh even the fourth episode had been released, but this is a new HBO show called Station Eleven, uh and is based on a book by a woman named Emily St. John Mandel. Uh, It's a post-apocalyptic book about a terrible uh, uh, illness, a terrible flu that sweeps across the world. Uh, And they started filming it, I believe, in late 2019, early 2020, and had to stop filming after the first episode. Uh, It is an extremely, to me, an extremely unsettling show. Uh, uh, it's got some magical realist elements. There's a, a, a comic book that people read in the, in the show or the book that seems to hold prophecies about the future. Um, and that is also called station 11 and people read it religiously. Um, uh, the people who have access to it. I am watching this show as religiously as people watch the comic book. It's, uh, really disturbing to see a show about, um, a pandemic this pandemic is is far far worse than the one we're living through is it it a bleak show a depressing show it's both bleak and hopeful and extremely unsettling i mean in this show i think 99 plus percent of the world dies so uh it comes from some of the same people who worked on the show the leftovers um which has roots in lost the show about the people stuck on the island Is
1: leftovers good i've heard of that leftovers um, is very very
0: good okay it's a great show um And this is better than Leftovers. I I like the Leftovers, but this just fits more in my... I I like post-apocalyptic stories. Um, And uh, um, uh, Mackenzie Davis is the star. She was in a show called Halt and Catch Fire, I believe. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Um, The acting on this is is, uh, uh, just stupendous, and I highly recommend it. There's three episodes left, two more drop on uh, Thursday the 6th, and then the final episode will drop a week after that. I just, it's hard for me
1: to watch really bleak and depressing uh, TV shows or movies right now. I mean, for the last year and a half, as long as the pandemic's been going on. So I tend to, I try to focus on more funny shows. Like I've been watching the newest year, the newest season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh, it's great. And always great. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia just finished up their six episode season. We haven't done, they haven't done any. I mean, this is the first season in a few years, I think. And, uh... What else have I watched? Anything kind of, you know, something that's more uplifting. I I saw a movie I bought, I spent $19 and 99 cents on a movie last night. I I guess I purchased it on Comcast and it's Ghostbusters afterlife. It made me happy. It's, it's more of a kid's movie now because the main stars are, you know, teenagers, but, I I really felt good after watching it. It made me feel happy. I just got to forget about Omicron for at least two hours and 14 minutes or so, however long that movie lasted.
0: (laughs) All right. I'll probably pass on that one. Uh, (laughs) Thank you for the recommendation. Your kids might like it. All right, Gary. It's great to see you as always. And we're going to do at least one more of these. We'll see. Okay. All right. TBD. Thank you. Bye, guys.
1: Bye.